Thank you for joining us wherever you are. This podcast episode is brought to you by the Old Ways Actual Play Team. This actual play uses the 7th edition Call of Cthulhu tabletop role-playing game rules by Chaosium. This actual play is performed by adults and in an adult setting. While we try very hard to stick to language for all ages, listeners should know that this podcast may include mature themes. All content, including names, places, events, companies, and etc. that may bear resemblance to entities living or dead is strictly coincidental. Thank you for joining us again on another episode of the Old Ways Podcast. I am your keeper, Keeper Michael, normally. Uh, but again, I'm happy to abdicate my throne to Keeper Regent for this episode of Echoes in the Mist, and that will be helmed by Keeper Bridget Jeffries. So please, Keeper, take it away. Hi, again, my name is Bridget Jeffries. I am here running Echoes in the Mist, a limited campaign written for Regency Cthulhu that I wrote specifically for the Old Ways podcast. Where we left off, we were in the middle of a ball. There's a lot of intrigue, a lot of drama, a few fumbled roles, and uh, a few choice people that we need to meet. So before we jump back into the game, let's start off with some introductions. So John, tell us who you are, who you're playing, and, and what, <laughs> what your character is looking forward to or dreading about this ball. Hi, I'm John. I am playing Sir Hugo Bartleby, first mate to Captain Sir Robert Dance. And um, Hugo is currently looking forward to figuring out just what the fuck is going on with being challenged to a duel. It's a bit of something. It is a bit of something. For the woman who wasn't wearing gloves, she found one to smack you across the face with. Uh, Noob, tell us who you are, who you're playing, and what your character is most looking forward to or dreading. Hello, hello. I am Noobish Indian Girl. I am healthy. I am wealthy. I am rich. I am that bitch. And I am playing Vidya Ambani, uh, a rich heiress in this Regency era. And women in Regency Cthulhu are not allowed to have occupations, but I'm wealthy. So who needs an occupation? I am most excited to meet this Henry dude. He seems kind of cute. So I want to catch his vibe and be like, maybe if he's cute, I'll dance with him. Oh, okay. Okay. And last but totally not least. Yeah, hi, this is Mike, and I am playing Captain Sir Robert Dent of, um, well, I would say of means and uh, of station. As we've seen, I've managed so far to keep my uh, charge from too terribly uh, embarrassing themselves in front of social and polite society. And to that end, perhaps they have gained some status in my own eyes. They are becoming harder and harder to not appreciate. And that could cause problems for Captain Dance here in the future. As far as what he's looking forward to, I would say that there are uh, many meetings that he has to take now, now that um, he's done with his first dance. And some will probably be quite white enjoyable. Ooh, beautiful. Okay, guys. Per usual, before we start into the game, let us have our next reading of the poem Darkness by Lord Byron. Which was a mockery, then they lifted up, their eyes as it grew lighter and beheld each other's aspects, saw and shrieked and died. 
even of their mutual hideousness, they died. Unknowing who he was upon whose brow famine had written fiend, the world was void. The populace and the powerful was a lump, seasonless, herbless, treeless, manless, lifeless, a lump of death, a chaos of hard clay. So Bartleby, your cheek stings with the slap of a beaded white glove that has been crossed your face. And much like um, you would see as a ripple effect when you would drop a pedal into a still pond, like the music stops because you weren't too far away from that string quartet. And just the group of people that were around you that witnessed this event all hush and take a few steps back. Hugo rubs his face. He's thinking, I probably used beaded glove on purpose. Before I accept your your uh, your challenge, I would have you. I would know the terms and the reason for it. Just looks her dead in the eye and says that uh, she is squared up with you, where her hips are shoulder length apart, and she's like she's just beaded onto you, and she looks unafraid. And she says, "When I was four years old, you fornicated, abused, and dishonored my sister." When I was four years old, my brother came to reclaim her honor. And I believe you set the terms of that duel. And then you left his body on the street. I'm not four years old anymore, sir, Bartleby. And I'm here to avenge my family. Hugh looks at her and he's like, "Uh, Well, I accept your challenge, Don. No, I'd prefer to do this now. I would rather not. My tailor would murder me regardless of whether or not I survive a duel with you for the simple habit of act of well, wearing a new suit while dueling, regardless of whether I'm the one what gets holes in it or not so, we'll do it in the morning and I will allow you to pick weapons and uh, I respect you for coming forth for it All while you're talking, she's taking very deliberate steps towards you. And when she's, you know, an arm's length from you, she sneers at you. She says, your tailor should have both of his hands removed for putting them in places they don't belong. And you are a coward for delaying such a duel in honor of your outfit composed by a bugger. Hugo has not backed backed away as she stepped towards him and he's just like young miss I uh if you think you're gonna roil me up with language like that that ain't gonna work I'm too old I kill too many men and honestly I don't reckon you want anything more than to make me mad and make me lose my temper make me make a fool of myself in public for the nth time tonight and uh then you want to run me through with a sword or shoot me with a pistol, whichever. Again, I leave that to you. I will meet you on the field of honor on my terms. Simple as. I know you won't lose your art for it because you've held the fire in your in it for... What, what is it now? And he pauses, sticks his tongue into his cheek and is like, oh, about 20-something years, I reckon. You can wait another night. You won't lose the taste for it. You'll be ready. And I will see you there, crack of dawn, and we'll do justice to your family name. I can't do you no better than that. Fine. Tomorrow, then. At dawn. Very good. Well, 
squares off his shoulders. They've been rounded a little bit from the talk, and he's just like, well, miss, I hope you enjoy the rest of the evening, and that you will be ready for what awaits you on the morrow. And she bows respectfully, as a woman of her uh, status should do, and she says, and you as well, Sir Bartlebean. I look forward to seeing you bleed out on the street as my brother did. At dawn, of course. Of course. Although, I would remind you that you will die in a field instead of on the street because your brother challenged me to do a duel in a whorehouse. So, I'll uh, see you then. And he's just going to sharp his, just sharp military turn, just heel, swip, and away. <laughs> Back past the servant that he's just confronted. <laughs> and who he had just done the same turn away from. And he's just like, well, time to put my affairs in order. <laughs> this this one might actually kill me. You are running out of friends in this room, Bartleby. You didn't have many to begin with. Nope. You're currently censored, right? Uh, I am one point off being censored. Okay. Let's uh, let's talk about an etiquette check right now. Because there, there are some nuances here from one you being challenged in a duel uh, by a woman, for one and foremost. You admitted that you killed her brother in a whorehouse. That's always great to have as public knowledge. Uh, let's see uh, if your sister faints somewhere in the background. Also, I just remembered I, I have a penalty die. So let's see what we get with that. Because you're the bad sort. I'm a 30-something. Is it two penalty die? Just one. Okay, well, in that case, 77 is the worst we got. Go ahead and take another four right now. Ooh, censored. And censored. You're at two penalty die right now. And I'm house ruling. Uh, it's not just social circumstances. It's anything you're going to do at this Paul. It's anything you're going to do in public at this point right now. No one will play cards with me. Oh, this is the worst. Let's hope those penalty die lift before you go to this duel. So, Sir Bartleby, you uh, militantly turn your back on the second woman of the evening. Um, and off in the corner, uh, you can just see the opened-eyed, slack-jaw, surprised, confused, and horrified faces of two teenage girls. That's where all the reputation loss comes from. And they don't say anything to you, but it appears that neither Fanny nor Deanna can actually maintain eye contact with you long. Mm -hmm. uh, seeing that as I'm approaching, uh, Hugo's just going to walk past and up to the, and off to wherever the men are smoking and gambling so he can get away from this bullshit. Okay, okay. So you're going to head upstairs to the smoking and the gambling and get some distance between the disappointed faces, the murder-focused faces, um, and the awkward glares and stares. A woman's voice clears from behind you, Miss Vidya Ambani, and you recognize it as Grace. At this point, you've spent so much time with her, you can almost pick up on her scent. And when you turn around, you are face-to-face -face with... Blonde hair pulled back, swimmingly gorgeous blue eyes, immaculately tailored outfit, and just a look that's just like, wow, I'm finally within five feet of her. Uh, Grace has a look on her face that's like, I hate myself and I'll never forgive myself for this one. But she is here to make an introduction because in polite society, she couldn't say no. And she says, Miss Vidya Ampani, you can hear the distaste in her voice, which is strange because she never directs that towards you, but it feels present in this introduction. Miss Vidyambani, may I please introduce you to Sir Henry White? And then she's going to step back 
And wherever, wherever, wherever Robert is in the room, she's going to throw him the most apologetic, heartbroken look. I think at this point, Vidya is going to politely curtsy. I, I think if that's in proper etiquette and say it, it is a pleasure to meet you, Mr. Henry White, was it? And he smiles at your curtsy and he takes a step back and he gives you this very full sweeping bow. And he says to you in broken Hindi, because he only managed to get 15% of it uh, onto his uh, onto his language score in anticipation of you. He attempts to say, yes, it is lovely to meet you. It sounds broken. Uh, he's trying too hard. His diction is in the wrong places, but he's 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 making a good faith effort to address you in Hindi. I think I laugh not like at him, but just like I let out like a little quiet giggle. Very appreciative of, of his effort. Oh, that's it's so nice to hear a friendly face speaking in Hindi. And he almost blushes and he says, thank you. I have not had much time to practice with Miss Alice Sweet, but um, she is a good trainer. She's been very patient with me. Is Alice nearby? Baby, now that she's made herself known to you, she's never going to be far. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now that's fair. She's she's always cleaning a table within a hundred feet of you. Hmm. That's that's great to hear. And I shoot her a look, a very like forced smile in her direction. And he smiles and says, "Have you had have you had an opportunity to be acquainted with Miss Sweet?" Because he genuinely has no idea. No, I I just happened to see her right by this table just a few moments prior. But I would love an introduction. And he says, oh, of course. Um, and he stops and he looks over to her. And about that time, she's just going to do that intentional look down, like I'm not making eye contact with you and I'm going to take dishes elsewhere. He says, well, perhaps when she returns for her rounds. Um, my apologies. I, I, I was coming to see if if you would do me the honor of this next dance. I would be delighted to dance with you. And he smiles and he extends an arm to you. And I, I guess I take it. That would be the polite gesture of kind of similar to how dance led me onto the dance floor. Yes. I'm going off of that experience. At least now I had a proper experience with someone who has been teaching me a bit of etiquette here and there. So I'm just trying to do exactly what I did before. Okay. 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 Uh, as you are being led by Sir Henry White onto the uh, dance floor, he moves his face borderline inappropriately close to yours. He's not hes not as forward as to be going forward for a kiss, but he goes to whisper in your ear, did you like the centaur that I sent to you? Uh, Vidya chuckles very quietly and, and yeah, yes, I, I did. It, it was a lovely gesture. It's always nice to have things that remind me of home. And he nods. He says, I thought so. You are you are such a long way from a place that you call home. And I know English manners can be very unkind. That actually means a lot to Vidya, actually hearing that from someone in like high society. And she is going to flash him a genuine smile and say, it's, it's really nice to hear you say that. It, it hasn't been easy, that's for sure. I can only imagine. But I will say, you are in good hands with Captain Dance. Thank you. I I feel as though he's he's really done his best to look out for me in this regard. And he smiles uh, and he actually throws a hand gesture and he mouths something to the string quartet. 
which is amazing because this isn't his house for him to be giving directions to music. Um, but they respond to him immediately and they adjust the song and several other people come onto the dance floor and he says, okay, this is respectfully one of the more simple dances that we have. So just, just follow my lead. I won't leave you astray. I promise. That sounds great to me. Really fast before we get into this dance, uh, Sir Hugo Bartleby or Sir Captain Sir Robert Dance, anything else you guys want to do as Vidya is taking uh, the dance floor right now? No, I, I certainly would like to um, watch this display. Um, it would be uh, be important for, for me to see how they get on. At least um, it would it would I'm, I'm too curious to, to not watch. Yeah, Hugo doesn't care. Let her dance with whoever she wants. Okay. Miss Vidya, you are on the dance floor with one of the more introductory, slower dances um, that you guys will be able to do. It's very communal in groups where there's like the center hand holding and the spins and you exchange partners, but it's much more slow and it's easier to anticipate what's coming down the pipeline. He, he really did choose like a great song for this. So I need you to uh, go ahead and roll me your dance. But you're going to be rolling with a bonus die with he uh, and the setup kind of assisting you here. Which being censored means you're probably just rolling regularly. Yeah. Ooh. So, alrighty. I think that works because dancing is my dexterity score divided by five, which is a 14. And so I think I made it. Oh my gosh. Oh my god! Okay, do you want to take narrative on what this looks like? Oh my god. Yeah, I can I I can definitely take narrative on how I feel. I probably have butterflies in my stomach. With a nice slow dance like this, I feel like it's my focus is on Henry, not so much the dancing. And so I feel like I'm able to move with so much grace that it's really showing off the gown I'm wearing. But my eyes are focused as much as they can be in a respectful way, I will probably look away out of shyness if Henry keeps staring at me the whole time. But I think it feels just straight out of a fairy tale. Everything that I've read and every book from the book club, Pride and Prejudice is out. I'm probably thinking this is my Mr. Darcy. And I am just very slowly making these turns and just living in the moment and just really feeling feeling feelings, I guess, feeling butterflies, feeling like this person really made an effort to get to know me. And I really appreciate that. And he knows that that wasn't easy for me. So I, I'm, I don't know. I'm feeling something. Okay. Okay. Once the dance concludes and you do your, you know, exit bows to the crowd, I am going to give you back a one point of reputation for a marvelous performance. A 10 is an amazing role, by the way, especially for someone who's not trained in dance. Um, and then also there's a certain degree of notoriety, respect uh, that just comes from being in the radius of Sir Henry White. That was lovely. Thank you. Thank you. That was, that dance was easy to follow. I really appreciate doing this one with you. You're welcome. Uh, it would be, Improper for me to ask for the next dance, but perhaps another one later on this evening? Yes, I would love if you saved me a dance. And he smiles and he bows and he attempts to say into Hindi, you know, it was lovely meeting you. That comes out as some 
botched scrambled egg version of it, but you can see where he was trying to go with it. Mm-hmm. I, I giggle again, and I I respond likewise. I, I look forward to dancing with you later. And he wasn't able to catch that, but he does smile and nods. And uh, just as he's getting ready to leave you, uh, he's ambushed by a couple of gentlemen who have a drink, and they're talking about cards. And uh, one of them says, "Was like, oh, Sir Henry White, where are your parents? We've not seen them. He goes, I don't know. They they were they were just behind. And then they just kind of like sweep him away into the next conversation. He just kind of throws a look over his shoulder at you um, where he just kind of like smiles an apology before he's just swept into the next conversation of the, you know, the gentleman of the Regency era. Is it proper for me to speak to some of the other ladies at the ball? Or would that also require an introduction? You would be okay because the majority of the women at this ball, you had introduction to at the um, the setup at the shooting range. Mm-hmm. So the vast majority of the women here, you uh, are at least green lit to approach. And if anyone else is there, you can always use grace um, to make the introduction for you if you need to. Right. I feel like I may want to go to Deanna and Fanny if they saw the dance and just like have like a girl moment with them. And maybe be like, he danced with me. Ah! <laughs> so you got three girls, two of them that desperately needed the distraction right now. Like desperately needed to be brought out of some conflicting emotions of despair, disappointment and shock. So uh, it takes you all of 30 seconds to warm them up before they're just like, oh, my God, that dance. And Deanna's like, that was you did so great. You did so great. I mean, and, and it's 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 the girl cheering moment uh, as you have to like stop at some point. And go like, oh, wait, people are watching us. Yes. But it's like, I just I just want to go to my girls because, you know, we've been roller skating for like the past few weeks yeah. and all been dreaming about like the ball and stuff like that. So okay. I just want to basically be like, you saw that, right? Oh, my God. Ah! I think he likes me a lot. <laughs> Is he the one that sent you the sand tour? I mean, then there's the you can girl talk, girl gossip from there. Captain Sir Robert Dance, what are you up to right now? I don't know. I suppose he'd be making his way very leisurely around the ball area um, and probably mentally going over the checklist of the people he he likely needs to make more direct acquaintances with, right? So there were a few, two specifically that were mentioned during our last episode. If if you wouldn't mind reminding me of their names. Absolutely. Uh, Your two two best prospects would be Miss Catherine Throckmorton. This is going to be the younger sister of Colonel. She's the, the black dress with the red cape. She's the black dress with the red cape power play girl. Yep. Of uh, the baby sister of Colonel Fitzwilliam Throckmorton, who you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then your second option is, well, you have multiple options here. Half the party is here for you. Um, but you have Virtue Wesley uh, of the Wesley family, who is biracial. Uh, her father, obviously, is an English white man, and her mother uh, was a West Indies slave. Okay. Well, I think that, um, first dance aside, I think that Miss um, Thrackmore has got to be uh, first on approach, just out of duty, if nothing else. And it's not that she's um, unattractive anyway. I do like a, a strong character. But yeah, we'll, we'll stop by Miss Thrackmore. I, knowing the colonel, do I need a formal introduction to speak with her? No, 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 no. This is a, a pure green light because you have met her before, but this might have been, you know, 10 years ago. Hell, it might have been 20 years ago, but that introduction still stands. Certainly. Then uh, I'll carefully approach. I'm not sure where specifically she's she's at or who, who might be around her. That'll be something that Dance would also 
want to key in on too. Yeah. Two things that you would have keyed into in this moment and then also just, you know, just your peripheral awareness of the ballroom situation, especially while video was dancing. She has had four different suitors come up to her and ask her to dance. Uh, But she is seated at a table with one leg crossed over the other, just like slowly fanning herself more as uh, a compulsion, more than it looks like she's actually trying to cool herself. Um, And she has declined one, two, three, all four of them. She's on a mission. She's hyper-focused. So right now she's sitting at a table and I'll just say that number four has been politely declined right as, you know, um, Miss Vidya's dance is ending right now. So this is all of a a two-minute break before the next song gears up and he was probably asking for this next dance. So I'll I'll step up to uh, the area near the, where she's seated at and wait to be acknowledged just for the half second. See, I'm going to gauge how how upset she is. Whoo, it's tough to gauge. She's been well-trained in these arts, but I will give you this much. You can make a psychology roll, uh, but I will give you this much without it. The second she sees you approaching her direction, she is going to immediately rise to her feet. And she just has a smart plane on uh, the right side of her face. Okay, so upset, but not actually mad. Or... Not mad enough to fuck her own mission up. Understood. So I'll um, make sure that my um, dress is still, you know, I got that hard hard success in the fashion world. We want to make sure that it, it works. And so, yeah, I'll, I'll approach uh, Miss Thrackmore and give her uh, a graceful uh, bow as befitting um, her station and um, say, uh, oh, Miss Thrackmore, it's wonderful to see you. Uh, she bows in return, but uh, Captain Dance, this is a much different bow than you've seen. The last time you've seen this particular bow was the last time you were invited and awarded some award that you have at His Majesty's court. She is pulling out old age etiquette right now. Classic etiquette, not necessarily conforming to this new shit that's been rolling out since the Regency era. And I apologize. What did you just say to her? Oh, I just said it's wonderful to see you. It is indeed a pleasure to see you as well. You look well on the floor. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, um, admittedly, dancing is not my direct forte. Um, I do have uh, other talents that I put my time into. But um, but yes, it was uh, good to see young Miss Vidya get uh, a proper introduction to, to dancing in, in this space. That stings. And she is going to do her very best not to acknowledge that that stings. Uh, And she's going to be very forward. She says, do you plan on inviting me to the next dance? Which is, whoa, red flag on a plate. She can't do that. Oh, I think a man such as myself has many plans. I can't imagine you wouldn't be amongst them. She takes a step in at that point, closing the distance uh, where you're at an uncomfortable, you know, um, uh, breath away from her. Yes, she is too close to me. <laughs> she's yeah. way too close to you right now. She's inside the bubble. And she says, a man of many talents and a man of many intentions. How fascinating. I will, um, just, just a few millimeters sort of, I'm not going to necessarily directly back off from her, but I want to give deference to the rest of the people here. And I don't want it to be assumed that something is going on which is not closeness within this era is minded very carefully yeah so I will say 
Yes, many talents sailing amongst them. Um, I understand your um, your father had many talents as well on the field of battle. We are indeed, as she's looking you up and down, we are indeed a family of many talents. Captain Sir Robert Dance, I want to be very transparent with you as not to waste either of our time. My brother made it very clear to make an impression and to entertain no one other than you. And that's precisely what I plan to do. Make an impression. Make an impression. Then, perhaps, may I suggest an alternate course. I believe impressions can be made in many ways, not necessarily just the dance floor. Would you care for a walk outside in the night air? I give her a broad smile, and I'm going to hit her with every bit of the 80 appearance that dance has. Oh, daddy, can you roll it? Oh, yeah. Really- you roll it with a bonus die, too. I mean, <laughs> I'm going to get it anyway, but yeah, I'll take it. So that's, wow, that's an 86. So mm-hmm, that's an 86. That's technically a fail, but I'll spend the six luck anyway, because I'm about to fail this. What did that luck expenditure look like? So I think what I'll do is I will, after giving her the broad smile, I will extend my elbow to her and offer sort of a sweeping gesture out towards one of these wide doors that awaits um, the area outside. Okay. She sort of takes your arm, but she takes a couple seconds before to swoop underneath your arm and run her uh, index and her middle finger around just like the inside of your flank on the inside of your waistcoat. You've been very direct. <laughs> Across the board. Before she takes your arm and she says, you've been moonlighting with the Bland's tailor, I see. Hmm. Mr. Davidson is a wonder. That is true. Um, we were um, able to secure his services. So uh, many of our many of our group could uh, seem well-tailored and finer. Not that we needed too much help, you understand, but uh, his eye is particularly good. And she smiles sincerely at that. And you can see her eyes are actually quickly running around the crowd to figure out if she can figure out where he is. Uh, she doesn't find him in that first sweep. And she says, I agree. He's brilliant. You look uh, quite astonishing this evening. I love the color choices. And she smiles at that because she knows what you're saying. <laughs> I see you. I see, I see you. you. <laughs> I, I see you. I see you. She says, uh, of course, as I said, I came to make an impression. Shall we? Indeed. I lead her away. I'm going to, as I lead her away too, I'm going to find a glass of wine because, of course, I'm thirsty and uh, take that outside with me as well. Okay. Uh, you head out onto that gorgeous stone um, veranda and uh, the next horse is being brought into rotation. The one that had an attitude they've already taken back to the stables. Like, let that one go have a Coke and a smile. Um, <laughs> the table has already been picked up. It almost looks like that whole incident that felt like a lifetime ago, which was only like an hour ago, has all been resolved. And as you step out onto the veranda, Captain Dance, your hackles raised because you can feel that something is wrong just based off of the body language and the posture of a few other people that are out here uh, getting a, a breath of fresh air uh, or having private conversations. And you look towards the mist and about halfway between the edge of the mist and the edge of this veranda, there is a figure standing there in the darkness. Whatever it is, is tall, maybe seven feet tall. It's lanky 
If it's a human, it almost looks alien in nature because the arms of this creature, it almost appears like the knuckles are dragging beneath its knee. And the 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 back is arched in an awkward way coming forward, but the head is up and even just, you can't really see much other than just like the silhouette of it, like dancing in this murky light. And it's not moving. It's just standing there. But when you step out, its head snaps up and at least looks in your direction. Okay. That's um, a little disconcerting, obviously. I don't know. I don't know who that is. Hmm. Or what that is. I'll uh, just give us very, very quick glance at at my um, my partner here and see if she's noticed that at all. Oh, she's for sure noticed it. You could feel her tense up um, next to you and you could see her. You could feel her hand going down your side again. But this one doesn't feel as much as a seduction as it looks like she's searching to see whether or not you have a pistol or a sword on you. I mean, there's a chance I probably have both. But um, yeah, so what I would do is likely reflexively sort of step out in front of her. Mm -hmm. And this is sort of where I'll play tit for tat. And I will just slightly step out in front of her. And my left hand will go sort of across the front of her dress, like near the stomach. Just very, just, just very lightly. Scandalous. Right, but we're covered from people, so you are. That's that's the important part. So we'll I'll do that for just half a second, and then try to get a better eye on what this thing is. And I guess I'm kind of wondering. I want to see how how um, how interested is she? Is she gonna lean into my hand? Is she gonna step back? Because because culture and and society would tell her to step back from being that close. I want to see what she's she's really up to. What is she after? So. Three things happen simultaneously. When you step in front of her, that creature starts moving in on you. It's not running. It's lumbering towards you. She, as you cross in front of her, and that hand goes across the front of her dress, she actually does the forward motion where she moves further into it, encouraging the contact. Um, And the third thing that happens is she begins making almost like fishing sounds at the other people on the veranda, like the... You know, they look and she actually motions them to go inside and they actually just do. Um, so I will reach into I'll, I'll reach to my um, to my right hip and just sort of put my take my hand from where she's at and, and, and reach over and reach for my sword hilt and say to her, I believe, Mr. Ackman, we should head back inside. There is something not right about that. And she, you know, you're in front of her, so you, can, you can't really see her facial expression. But she almost stiffens. And she says, no, maybe we should confront this. I look back at her just for a, a half second. And it's almost like when you finally look at her, like she gets that jolt of like, oh, there are lines and that one was too far. Got it. I understand. Sorry, my bad. I just I didn't know where we were in life. And she says, it's curious, isn't it? And at this point, this thing is within 20 feet of walking up this veranda right now. Uh, You do notice one thing without a spot hidden check. The closer it approaches, the less anxious the horses feel. It's driving your guys' anxiety up a wall. But for whatever reason, the horses seem to be just like you can just see them settling or they look over their shoulders. They huff, they shake their manes and they go back to whatever it is they were doing. Okay, so what I'll do then is I'll keep my hand on the hilt of my sword, but I'm not going to draw it. I'm going to keep my my other hand, my left hand, 
where I can feel where she's at. Because as Robert gets tenser, just like he would have on any sort of fights aboard a ship or fights during the war is, I want to know where the people are. Yeah. I don't want to have them get in my way. Like if I have to draw my sword and I have to fight, I don't want her moving the wrong way in front or behind me if I I have to swing. Right. Okay. And so I'm I'm, I'm on, I'm in full gallant mode as, you know, a, a, a knighted naval captain. And I'm, I'm prepared if necessary to do, uh, to defend the lady's honor, obviously, and then the, the honor of people here. It's sort of my thing. Okay. You have her positioned currently. And just before this thing takes a step onto the veranda and you can see it, um, she says to you, I'm better with a pistol than I am with a sword. I will uh, lean just slightly over and say, in my left pocket, these beautiful buckskin trousers. You'll find a pistol there if you dare to fish it out. A smile wraps across her face and she goes fishing. Mm. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my best to enjoy every moment of that. This has been a while. You've been at sea. Uh, yeah, you don't get around as much as Hugo. That's true. I, well, I can't. You can't, right. Yeah, you've got too much to, yeah, you've got too much to risk. So yeah, she goes deep diving uh, as the bottom of the knuckles of this humanoid creature crests the veranda. Miss Vidya Ambani, hopping back over to you. You are just finishing up um, your excited girl moments. Um, and the ladies have decided that they are going to go and try some of the food. And they deeply wish you to join uh, them. So they're almost pulling you along more than you are. It's like, hey, do you want to get a bite to eat? Oh, hell yeah. I A girl's got to eat, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Um, they begin making small plates, uh, and both of them are almost stumbling over each other to make sure they point out all the vegetables to you. And then which ones they've tried that aren't any good. That's actually very sweet of them. I really appreciate that. And as you guys are getting your plates together, uh, you notice that you're at the end of like this particular buffet tray where there's like a freestanding black curtain. And then there appears to be either a servants, either it's a, a trash receptacle or a chair that stepped by, but whatever it is, there's just like a little small area directly to the left of this curtain. And as you, as um, Deanna's going like, okay, so this one, this one is really dry. I wouldn't do that one at all. You can hear an eruption of uh, laughter on the other side of this curtain. You're literally just separated here by a curtain. And it's a eruption of, you, you know what it sounds like, of that vindictive, vicious, female, gossipy laughter. I have a bad feeling about this. Can I try to see what's on the other side of the curtain without necessarily making my presence known? Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I feel like that feels great for like maybe a stealth check. All righty. Do I have good stealth? I have a 40. Okay. Ooh. Okay. With a regular success, uh, how are you stealthily looking on the other side of this curtain? You could technically go behind it on two different ways. So you could just quickly walk past it. Just give me an idea of how you're doing this without being noticed. So the curtain is like perpendicular to the tables. Can I just peer off to one side and just take a quick peek and then move back? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're just going to peer over to one side and look back. What you see immediately is uh, Emma there with her hand over her mouth, like giggling while she's waving another hand like it's too funny. Make it stop, make it stop. And she says, so again, again, stop, 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 stop. Welcome to the Bland Museum. May I please show you 
a new exhibit that I have. And there are three or four other girls there that are all giggling and cackling. And it's almost like this is the fourth or fifth time she said this line. And you think it's really funny. And she says, I call this the destruction of the foreigners. And all the girls fall out laughing again. And you look at what she's pointing at. And, and there is a, a small table um, inlaid in silk, almost sitting in a goblet is a bullet bullet that came out of that pistol that you fired and next to it there's a trunk that she has had that pane of glass that the bullet went through positioned there where the bullet hole is still there and it looks like it's been cut out hmm okay well I took a quick peek and now I'm still back at the food table with Deanna and Fanny yeah I think I'm gonna lean on my my girl squad okay and tell them what I saw and ask, what is the best way for me to ruin her reputation right now? I want to do this right. Okay. So one, Fanny, who is Miss Queen Etiquette here, is immediately going in. It's like, no, Miss Hambani, you can't. It's just, there are people like this that are in the world. You can't, you can't. You And, and, and all she's immediately doing is just frantically trying to talk you down from anything that can harm, further harm your reputation. Because this is misreputation and misetiquette. Diana, however, is all in. 10 out of 10, let's go. She throws uh, a bit of spaghetti at the wall, a couple options, a couple of options, and then a light bulb goes off in her eyes. And she looks to you, and she takes either of your hands in hers, and she goes, Henry, youth Henry. How, how, do I, how do I do that? Do I have him walk over here with me? Yeah, but you need to be crying. Oh, go up to Henry and cry about this. <gasps> That's a wonderful idea. Deanna, you're a genius. And she hugs you <laughs> and she grabs a glass of water from the table. Fear. <laughs> uh, and I very discreetly, you know, like get a little bit near my eyes to make it look like I, I've I've been crying. Not enough to smudge my makeup, you know. Right. Can't never do enough that. to smudge my exactly. But enough to look quite upset. Where is Henry right now? You know, he's been fished away into some other conversation, but one song has already elapsed and he's probably going to be working his way back to you for this next song. But really, it doesn't take long to see him. He's constantly got an entourage around him. He's straight across. I would like to either walk towards him or get his attention somehow. Maybe not so bold as to wave him over because I realize that would be too much, but maybe to position myself so that he will be walking past me. And just look look a little upset and, like, sniffle. Uh, can you please roll me an appearance check? Oh, boy. An appearance check. Oh, that is a success. I rolled a 48 out of 60. It does not take long. He's been watching you all night. It's like he can't let you out of his sight for more than 10 minutes at a time. So it's not going to take long for him to get annoyed, lost, distracted in whatever conversation he's having and have his eyes wander until they find you. And when he locks eyes on you, what do you look like right now? I look like those girls in modern TV, like when they're crying, but they still look super hot. So like, I st- I look like that. Or again, like none of my makeup is smudged, but I'm just like stiff, like, I can't believe this has happened. <laughs> oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Um... He starts over towards you and like the, the last third of his journey, he actually like breaks into like this awkward jog and he comes up to Emil. He's like, Miss, Vin- Miss, Miss Ambani, what's wrong? Oh, it's, it's terrible. The, I, 
I only wanted to make a positive impression on Emma, but she's over there with other girls showing them some exhibit she made about the bull, uh, about the shooting contest that she rigged. And he looks to you and like he's, he's processing all this information and you can see that he's running it through an algorithm of where's his place because this is a rival family right now. He's running it through that algorithm of what should he do, what he couldn't do. And then he just looks at that face. He looks at that success you just rolled on that appearance and he just, he so desperately wants to use his gloved hand to wipe your tears away, but he knows that he can't touch you right now. You're not dancing. That's the only time he's going to be able to make physical contact with you. And he says, show me where they are. And then I'm going to cut up stairs to Hugo Bartleby. Hugo Bartleby, you're sitting down at a table. You have successfully found a table that has Mr. Davidson at it. Looks like he's been having the time of his life playing cards. It's like as soon as you come upstairs, he's going to like, you know, wave you over for you to sit down with him. Uh, When you do sit down with him, two other gentlemen who don't want that um, peripheral censorship get up from the table and walk away. And it'd be just the two of you for a minute. Eventually, somebody else will sit down who's just like too old and too over it to really give a fuck. And you guys are going to be able to sit down and play some cards. Give me a gaming check really fast. I'm just curious to see how you're doing. Do I have disadvantage on these? Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> I thought I just wanted to confirm. <laughs> wow. Bradley, don't fuck around. I'll even spend one point of luck to make that even a hard success. He rolled a 10 and an 11. <laughs> okay. Okay, Bartleby, what does this look like as the tides are changing and suddenly Davidson is the one losing money? Uh, no, it's just Bartleby just being real cold, like he's puffing away on the pipe. And he's just like, like he's not giving any reaction. He's just entirely into the game. He's just like, yeah, no. that. He's just like completely focusing on this so he doesn't have to worry about all the bullshit downstairs that just went off. This is what he does. It's like, oh, thank God. It's almost like I'm not even in England anymore. Fucking hate this place. Uh, Mr. No Boundaries, Mr. Davidson, is going to look at you at some point after you are like shuffling the cards and you've just like taken half of his go in four hands. One, the first thing he does is starts adjusting his bets. So he's going to dial back his enthusiasm a bit. Uh, And then he's going to look at you, look over to the dance floor, you know, below you guys and look back at you. And he's like, are you going to kill that girl tomorrow? Might do, yeah. Hmm. Reckon probably wouldn't be sporting, but uh, try and wound her if I can. Let her live. Oh, I don't know if that's one of the ones you'll want to let live. Meh. But uh, might never come back to England if I kill her, which is, you know, honestly. <laughs> he just kind of like shrugs. He's like, could take a job with the Raj, you know, all that business. Yeah, I suppose. Hey, before you kill her, could you possibly find out who made that delicious ensemble that she's wearing? I'll, uh, I'll be sure to ask. I hear you went ahead of yourself, my friend. Uh, he says, uh, in more ways than one, and he actually rolls up his own glove, and it looks like she broke his wrist already. For what you can see from the bruising and the discoloration on his skin, whatever she did to his... Cause he's handsy. And he you sent him over there to her. <laughs> and he'll just, you know, very gently roll that glove back up. He's just like, oh, I want to see a sawbones about that and- Mm, it's my left hand. It'll be fine. I thought you needed both for fitting. That's what you told me. Uh, he leans into the table and he says, that's what I tell all the handsome fellows, Hugo. Which the gentleman at the table is like, and that's my cue to get up and leave. Uh-huh. Uh, he sits back in his chair and um, he begins shuffling, which he actually does pretty well with this this hand as bummed as it is. 
And um, there is a, another table uh, to your left that is playing cards and tables to your right. And again, they're, they're separated by just like literally a thin freestanding curtain that's only like four feet tall. So you can smell smoke coming from the table to your right and you can hear a gentleman having a conversation. And the thing that gets your attention immediately is even without a listen check, because they're just kind of like casually up there talking and they're in a couple glasses at this point, you hear one of them mention Diana's name. And then you can hear all the chairs scooch back and all the gentlemen stand up and you can like, from on the other side of the curtain, you can feel, see, understand that they're all moving to the edge of that balcony and they're looking down uh, onto the dance floor. Mm-hmm. Hugo's hearing is not the best because of, you know, cannon fire, pistol fire, getting punched in the ear. So yeah, Hugo's not gonna, Hugo's just gonna kind of sit there, but he's paying attention, full attention to what they're talking about. He, the, <laughs> He's just going to hold up a hand. It's not just him and Davidson. So he's just going to be like, just, just hold up the hand and kind of just make a facial gesture. That's kind of like, bear with me for a second. As he like cocks his head so that the good ear is facing them and that he can actually hear <laughs> what's being said. Okay. It's three of them that you can tell. And um, the conversation is going something to the effect of like, now tell me which one is that again? Oh, it's her right there, right there, right there, right there. No, see her. She's, yeah, right there, right there, right there, right there. She's with the, uh, she's with that Vidyan Bonnie. Is she crying? Why on earth is she crying? Up oh, there goes Henry. In love again. No, what, I'm, her. Oh, okay. And, and they're having this conversation where they're pinning out Diana. And uh, a voice that you haven't heard goes, and what exactly is so fascinating about her? I've heard her speak. They all fall out laughing. Um, and uh, a gentleman chimes says, like, no, you don't understand. Um, Hubert here. And as you look over the balcony uh, and you're listening to this conversation, it's almost like a motion picture is coming together. Um, there is a gentleman by the name of Hubert Wadham. Uh, he appears to be in his early 50s. Uh, he has approached little Diana, who was hyper-focused on trying to make sure everything went well with Vidya. And is now just kind of getting blindsided by this older gentleman uh, who comes up to her, bows and asks her to dance. To which she just gleefully accepts because someone is actually, you know, paying attention to her. Um, and she doesn't, she's still at that age of innocence where it's not connecting that anything could possibly be wrong. This is just a fun dance with a guy in town. And the gentleman continue. He says, so once her brother marries that little orphan from pool, that entire family will rise. Oh, no, 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 no. That towel boy girl, she's wealthy. Very much so. The Bartlebees are trying to keep it quiet, and of course they would. It's their way. And all of them, they kind of guffaw and talk. Um, and he says, yes, but my my barrister worked for the Talboys. She is the fourth richest woman in this room. And another one chimes in. It's like, ah, good old Hubert getting in on the front end. <laughs> Hugo is going to clench his pipe in his teeth and uh, just without saying a word, just start taking some of the coins he'll throw like a quarter back to Davidson so that he can keep playing and he's just like you're just gonna give him just a quick gesture of a hand just that says mm, sorry gotta gotta go sort something have a good evening second to last Hugo is walking away from the card table his jacket has been taken off the sleeves have been rolled up because that's how Hugo always plays cards and he's gonna go up behind the guys and he's just gonna be like well that's fierce interesting about young Miss Fanny I didn't reckon that she was quite so well off. Three gentlemen startle, turn around, and just blanch looking at you. 
course, I wouldn't go talking about her behind her back, like. I will say she's a classified young lady, very dignified. Does make sense why some members of my family were more keen on uh, having her marry me than others. Well, gentlemen, you shed light on a number of things. However, I will say two things to you. One, you will warn your friend to stay away from my little sister for the good of his health. Secondly, I ever hear one of you laugh about how she talks again. You'll never laugh again because you won't have a fucking tongue. Am I clear? Gentlemen? Yes, sir. Very clear. That's very good. Now you'll be about yourselves and have a good evening. And like roaches, when the lights come on, they scatter. They slither around you. They skulk around you. They escape from around you as quickly as they can. And you look onto the dance floor and your sister, eyes full of light and a smile raining across her face, is currently being twirled around by Sir Hubert Wadham. <laughs> what do I know about Hubert Wadham? Oh, well, from what you remember from Hubert Wadham, uh, he has successfully gone through two wives that have both died. Under circumstances that aren't very, very clear, various illnesses is what's been mostly said. He's childless, and he's on the market. No heir. Hmm. But he's not the problem. He's, look, a maggot like him will always exist. You can't do anything about it. No. Hugo knows that his problem is not outside, or say, people one step blood related to him. So he's going to knock out the pipe, put it back in the jacket pocket, and, uh, you know, he's, he's actually going to take the time. The sleeves come back down. He's just like, fucking hell, I was having a good time, getting good games in, having better luck than normal. Way better luck than normal. Holy shit. <laughs> Way better luck than normal for Hugo. He puts the jacket back on. He's just like, and he's going to go downstairs and approach his father and beloved sister, Marianne. Who are standing and seated uh, near the edge of the dance floor, watching Diana and Sir Hubert Wadham dance, hopping over to Sir Robert dance. Uh, you and your associate are there. She went fishing uh, and she found more than what she was looking for, but she does extract the pistol and you can just see as she pulls it in front of her that she does a once over it to make sure like there's a bullet in the chamber and everything is like she knows she knows her way around a gun well uh that gun is actually f sort of special uh it's been with me since my last trip and if you'll allow me some narrative i think that that pistol is a gift from miss ambani's father uh as an escort gift it is a um, double-barreled pistol not terribly rare for the era, but carries two bullets. Uh, again, still adheres to the same sort of lengthy reload time, but um, it was given with a blessing that he uh, protect his daughter at all cost. And so I'm, I'm envisioning, like, down the side of this gilded barrel, there is a panther fashioned after her one of her favorite animals. And so you have this long scroll work and panther detailed with an open mouth near the barrel. Oh, she's going to have so many questions about that. And she hopes for an opportunity to ask them, too. Uh, standing there, cutting through the rain, pulling itself up onto the veranda, there's a moment, Sir Bartleby, where you go, oh, 
it's him. But he doesn't typically come this close to civilization. Something must be wrong. And what you're looking at is a heavily bearded man that hovers right around 7172. He's freakishly lanky, lanky. His arms uh, overhang to the point that literally if he arches his back any further, the back of his hands drag onto the floor. His his joints are overbulged. Uh, he has a jawline that looks like if it drops any further, it's going to hit him on, on his chest. And you know this particular gentleman, if you can call him that. This is the troll. That's what he's called behind closed doors. His actual name is Aaron Burnham. And he is the hermit that lives in these lands. He would be addressed as Mr. Burham, I believe. He, he would be, yeah. Mr. Burham. Um, guess what I'll do just slightly then is sort of un, untense my shoulders a little bit and say, Oh, Mr. Burham, you've given us quite a fright. And then just, just ever so slightly ease, ease up out of the you know, that one step away from drawing and drawing a sword posture to, to try to to show, to display that I'm not I'm not eager for a fight if necessary. Don't worry about what this f- fair maiden with the pistol standing next to me says looks like. She is alarmed at his appearance for sure, but she can read body language and she understands that whatever threat was currently in the air is subsiding. So basically what she does is keeps the pistol out in front of her, uh, looks over her shoulder to see, you know, exactly how much attention you guys are attracting from the inside. And it's just a bit, not much. A few curious people looking out. And Mr. Burham, you know, slides over to you and he, and he looks to you. Is he barking? It was, it was almost like a bark. And he points just a triple jointed, obnoxiously, uncomfortably, long finger um, at the sky. All right, out with it, man. What is it? And he at you again, and he points another finger up towards the sky. I look into the sky. Where is he pointing? Uh, He is pointing up through the rain uh, and through the small passing of clouds, and it doesn't take you long to see what he wants you to see. I need an astronomy check from you, please. Mm, that is not a success, but I'm over 60, so there's no concern about the fumble. You want to push it? Yeah, so I guess what I'll do is I'll, if it's a, a moon and stars sort of um, situation that I'm, I'm pulling for my astronomy, which I assume I would be, because that's sort of how we get. I guess I will look at where the stars are in their current alignment, and then I'll think to myself, oh, right, I'm not out at sea anymore. I'm inland, so these things are going to be different. And that's a 40 under 60. Okay. Okay. Um, You look at the stars and you're looking up at the constellations and you're like, that's not what they should look like. That's not what they should look like from land either. Something is wrong. And you recognize this particular collection of constellations. Some of them you've never seen before, which is very odd for you. Some that you do, but the one thing that strings you back, the night that you were deemed a herald, the night that you became the echo that preceded death, the stars are exactly how they are right now in the sky. I look back at um, this giant of a man in front of me and say, I know those stars. And I'm going to make sure that 
the audience, two people in my audience here understand the graveness at which I say that sentence. He nods very slowly, which actually looks like uh, uh, his head is just ready to roll off uh, of his neck. And he reaches uh, into this tattered coat that he's wearing, whatever fabric that he's adorned or pieced together, sewn together. He reaches out and he, he hands you a device that for just reference sake is about the size of, I don't know, guys, what is, what is this? A softball. I like that. Yep. An American softball. And when you look at it, he hands it to you, uh, Captain Sir Robert Dance. And when you look at it, it is spherical in nature, but it appears to be put together with some type of glue or paste um, and dried leaves, massively large um, tropical leaves, probably something that he has pulled from the, uh, the shores of Dorset. And these leaves are wrapped around this globe and then they're suspended somehow between interwoven links of twig where actually like the ball of leaves inside can spin on the inside of another you know encasement of twigs and there's something on the inside of it that's rattling around maybe an acorn or something given the way that it sounds but you're looking at this weird ass contraption and it occurs to you to your shock and awe i'll be damned it looks like he made a celestial globe he made an actual celestial globe out of natural materials how the fuck he got that off is beyond genius and brilliance but that's literally what you're holding in his hand is his own version of a celestial globe yeah i'll I'll sort of take it just in in a single hand for a moment likely my right hand because i'm not yet ready to surrender the left hand from her dress just yet and i'll say fascinating an an astrolabe yes out of wood and leaves how fantastic. And he, you know, yaps at you again. And then he turns the leaves on the inside of this dial until the constellations match the constellations in the sky. And he looks to it and he sniffs it. And then he sniffs you. And then he looks around and he goes, not here. Where then? And he shakes his head long left to right. That jaw looks like it's ready to fall off of its hinges. Not here. Hmm. Somewhere else. Okay, well, I'm a learned man. um, And I can tell distance and some geographical places from where he's attuned it from to where he's attuned it to. Uh, So my question is, is if he's changed the base location that it's supposed to be, could he be referring to another place close to here? And so I guess Dance's mind will sort of move down the line and say, pool? I ask as a question. He furrows his brow and gives you a, a frustrated, a frustrated face. Roll me while you're fiddling with his toy. Roll me another astronomy, please. This time you're going to be rolling with a bonus die. Uh, so that is an 11 under my um, astronomy of 60. So that is a extreme success on astronomy. Oh, my God. Jesus. Okay. Uh, go ahead and roll me your sand check now. Remember, kids, there are some rolls you don't want to make. That is a failure on my sanity roll. Ooh. Okay. Okay. We're okay. We're okay. Uh, I'm going to need your intelligence check to follow that up, please. Ooh. Fantastic. Uh, so that is a pass on my int. Okay. You're fiddling around with this natural celestial globe. 
and you're you're he's already said it with the constellation that's matching what's in the sky. And you have a massive moment of realization that's going to cost you uh, three sanity points in this moment. One, these constellations you would not see from sea. Two, you wouldn't see these constellations from land. Three, he said not here. And you're looking up at the sky. You're looking down at this globe that he has. And you realize that the globe that he has affixed isn't the world. It isn't earth wherever this constellation is coming down is implying that wherever you are in space and time at this moment is not dorset it's not england it may not even be this realm of possibility and he mutters stars are right and that comet stars running across the sky again i i turn to uh miss Th- thrackmorton behind me and say by what conveyance did you arrive here this evening? Carriage, why? What's wrong? How long have you been here? Hours. I do not know that anything is wrong yet. At least not wronger than it has already been. You mean what you say? You're on some directive from your father to somehow make a match? Is this true? Yes. Then if you seek to target me, you shall need to keep up. I say with a smile, we have something to investigate. And I don't accept a social or intellectual slouch, and I don't believe you are. But let us see, let us see what we can do to determine, discern what this globe suggests. I turn to her with it and say, it suggests that the focus point, the center point, which most globes are Earth, is not. It suggests something else. It suggests we are somewhere else. And so I'm going to just double check the windows and see how people are watching. From the dancing and the party and the moving around and whatever's going on with Henry. (laughs) Henry at this moment is about to start causing a lot of attention. You've got maybe a dozen people that are standing at the glass, um, you know, sipping wine and looking out curiously about what's happening. So I will turn her away towards the terrace a little bit so that our backs are to them. And then I will tuck my left hand with a, I'll take my left hand away from where it was on her dress because I can't do the same move. Change the globe to my left hand and then give her sort of give her a glance at it close so that we're almost shoulder to shoulder, but they can't see what goes on in front of us. And I will walk her through it and just ever so slightly get the globe closer and closer to her. So that way my my hand is closer to her. Yeah. And I'll just see what she does. Okay. She is going to play into this in every way possible because one, you have her total, total and complete curiosity right now. So she's leaning in. She's playing with the globe just as much as she's currently playing with you. And you can immediately get the impression just from the way that her breath quickens and the heat that's radiating from her skin that she's aroused by danger. And whatever is happening in this situation um, definitely has her enticed. Um, and she leans in close and she looks over this celestial globe and she looks up at the hermit uh, that lives on this land. And then she just, you know, very slightly looks over her shoulder and she says, so what do you intend to do? With the globe or with you? She says, let's start with the globe and then finish with me. That sounds fantastic. So we shall need to corral a few more men of science. But before we do, because of course they'll think we're mad. We must be certain. I turn back to the hermit. Tell me, does the mist have anything to do with this then? 
I sort of point out towards the cloud. He nods very slowly again. Looks like that bottom jaw is just going to fall right off the hinges. He says, not here. Yes, I think I take your meaning. We are not here. And yet we are. How strange. Then I'm going to cut directly over to Miss Vidya Ambani. Miss Vidya Ambani, the last we left you, (laughs) you sent your... You sent your your watchdog, (laughs) your lovesick puppy, after Emma. Now, one, that setup and execution was so incredibly sexy. I don't even feel right taking narrative for it. Do you want to have your revenge exacting moment on what this looks like? What sounds can be heard? What he does? Oh, man. I, I am not sure, honestly. I just know that by the time we... Maybe we could share the narrative. I know that by the time I've led Henry to this little museum area, my fake tears have dried because it was just water. So obviously it dried. I'm not looking super duper sad, but you know, I'm keeping up a little sniffle just to keep the act going. And I I think I kind of want to let Henry take it from there. I don't want to be super involved in this because I don't want to compromise my reputation or anything. So I think I would probably just direct Henry being like, oh, it's, it's, it's awful. I don't even, I don't even know what to do in this situation. I don't even know how to show my face in this situation. And I kind of stand by the food table behind the curtain. And I think I let Henry take the lead because I think, uh, in this day and age, men have a lot more power in this situation than I do. But if I have a man to control, then I have the power. Who's actually in the driver's seat here? Exactly. Yes. So a couple things that you notice. One, Fanny is behind you, like grinding her teeth because everything about this is delicious, but it's also very, very wrong. So Fanny, you know, point of ethics and morality is like, oh my God. And you turn to look at uh, Diana, like, this is great writing. You realize that she's been swept onto the store, onto the floor by some gentleman. It's like, oh, well, okay. okay. Um, so you're standing there when Sir Henry White disappears behind the curtain. You can hear some hushed tones and some apologies and you notice that uh, a couple of the girls are attempting to get by him uh, to leave that area. He's actually locking them in place. They aren't able to get by him. They're not able to skip around him. His tone goes very dark. His cadence drops and he starts going in on the embarrassment that they're bringing to their families how he plans to report such shenanigans and such inappropriate and bullying behavior to their parents. He looks to Emma and starts spilling her tea. When you were at your last coming out party and you were spreading your legs for Sir Henry Martimor, no one said anything. When you were da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da, no one said anything. I mean, he just starts just systematically spilling her tea. And he closes with, your father's will hear of this disgrace. And if I have anything to do with it, you will never find a suitable match in the town of Poole, Mill Puddle, or anywhere that my influence was reached. Now go! And four crying, sobbing girls take off out of this closet. I mean, I'm just fanning myself here. Like, I thought Henry was, you know, just a little, like, lovesick puppy, but like, damn, he's got some claws or some bite to him. I I like this guy. 
Uh, it takes a moment for him to uh, come back. Uh, and when he does, his face is flush. He looks hot. Um, like that might have exerted a little bit more energy than he's used to. And he looks to you and he says, I am so sorry that you had to experience that. When I said some English mannerisms and customs were unkind, I suppose I should have extended it to its cruelty as well. You didn't deserve that. And I'll see to it that she never bothers you again. Thank you so much, Henry. I, I don't even know. I don't even know what I could say to express my gratitude. I honestly, I, I truly am so touched. Thank you for speaking up and defending my honor. You look a little tired. Would you like my fan? Or maybe I could fetch you a glass of water. He looks to you and he smiles and he says, I would very much appreciate the fan of the lady. Thank you. And I, I happily hand it over to him. Or I don't know if it would be appropriate for me to fan him. But I probably, as we're talking for the last few seconds, as I'm fanning myself, you know, he's on the other side of me, probably getting a bit of that benefit. And then I give him my fan as a token of appreciation. <gasps> I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Sir Bartleby, you have hit the dance floor uh, where they're about uh, 75% through the way of this dance. They've just hit the shared point where they're like, they have a partner switch and they're getting ready to reconnect with their original partners. Deanna looks so happy. Bartleby's going to smile. He's just going to be like, it's good that she's happy. And he smiles at, at her partner. For right now, there's no major qualm. Like, Bartleby gets how this guy's game is played. He knows what's up. He thinks it's bullshit and for for just the worst kind of human being. But, you know, he gets it. No, Bartleby's problem is with the people who are facilitating all this. On the way to the family? Mm-hmm. Bartleby is just going to you know, just give himself something to do. He's going to be fixing the cuffs of the jacket that's still a little bit up. You know, <laughs> when he puts it back on, it's just a little, you know, whatever way it went on, it's just... Mm, gives him something to do to straighten it out. I just heard the most fascinating rumor about the Bartlebys. You see, people are talking. And they say I took in an orphan and forced her to marry me. And that it turns out she's one of the richest women in the county. How? Isn't that just insane? As he just looks his sister dead in the eye and then looks at his father like you'd look at something that the dog dragged in. Oh. He's just like, now, I don't know about you, but that doesn't seem right to me. Doesn't seem right to force a young lady into marriage so you can take, what, everything her parents had and then, oh wait, they're dead. So here's how we're going to do this. After my little display earlier, we are going to give Fanny an option to uh, pick a gentleman of better valor. And then you are going to say no. You will not raise your fucking voice. You will not say anything. I swear to God, if I hear even a peep out of the two of you for what I do next, there will be consequences. And, you know, he's just, he's just kind of talking to them in like a low voice. And he's, you know, he's, he's doing it so that, you know, like... Guys, you won't believe what I just... You know, people aren't going to overhear. He's just like, I swear by the blood of Christ, I will make this right for this little girl. I will do better than you. 
And he's just going to, you know, very calmly step back, not give them time to react. And he's just going to walk over to Fanny. You step away from your mortified sister and father who have just had the voices snatched from literally their chest. And you move over to Fanny, and that's when there is a single thunderclap that roars overhead that is abruptly silenced. In a blink, the mist that was outside your doors, in an instant, you're waiting in it about three feet high. This is the entire ballroom, not the balcony upstairs, and the veranda. So, Sir Captain Dance, you're sitting in about three feet high of just hollow mist. There are shadows uh, that appear to be maybe quadruped in nature that are very stout, but they're whipping and running through this mist almost randomly as if they don't have any actual directionality. The air above the mist, the air that you're breathing, feels electrified somehow, and it's radiating light and electricity and this low drumming sound that just settles on the back of each of your necks. A single bell tolls, and simultaneously, dozens of voices, including yours, call out collectively, All hail the silent shouter. All hail the wailer in the dark. All hail the unheard howler. Every voice in the room, including yours, chants in unison, We are the echo that precedes death. The entire room falls silent, even the animals. And then standing almost as if they just materialized in a blink are Miss Margaret White and Sir William White, Henry's parents who have been absent this entire fall. They appear changed somehow. They are wearing the standard, you know, glamorous Regency attire, but there's something not right about it. You can't put your finger on it. It almost appears as if their outfit is alive, that it's breathing, that it's crawling. And the two of them have vacant yet horrified expressions on their face, their eyeless faces that are completely hollowed out. And just inside the brim of those holes, there's something red and smoky, something misty, bubbling. Margaret speaks first to a room that has just been adorned in silence. And she says, we come, we answered the summons of the howler, and we have seen the court of the whaler, and we have kneeled before the throne of the silent shouter. We are the heralds. We are the echo that precedes death. William, her husband, speaks then. It desires its own coming out ball. It requires perfection. It longs for superb etiquette. We proudly host this ball now, and we now accept volunteers. And that's when screams begin to rain out all over the room. Any sand checks, please? Yep. Uh, yes, Hugo has failed his sand check. Uh, Captain Dance has passed his. I have a hard success on mine. Beautiful. All right. For those who made it, you're going to lose two. Hugo, you are actually going to wind up losing five. Oh, that will push Hugo into indefinite insanity. It will. It will. Hugo, I'm going to allow you to tee up your own insanity, your own bout, and then I will let you know what your temporary insanity is. Uh, But first and foremost, let's talk about Sir Captain Dance. What's your immediate reaction when this happens, Sir Captain Dance? I think he's starting to put some some, uh, lines together, right? That um, perhaps the family here had way more going on than it was willing to talk about at the time. And that um, I think he might even be thankful that 
he held the animals out for another day because goodness knows what could have happened in this house with an extra day. Um, but um, he would probably turn to Miss Thrackmorton and say, this is the game they've been waiting to play. Are you willing to play it with me? She turns the pistol over in her hand and she looks at that gorgeous um, roaring leopard that's on the side and she opens her house, her mouth to speak and she's not there anymore. Captain Sir Robert Dance, but who is standing there before you is your wife. And she is heavily pregnant. She looks absolutely stunning in the spring dress that she's wearing. She's wearing lavender and she's always looks so lovely in lavender. Uh, her belly is large and too swollen, too large, too strained. And still she looks beautiful. She wraps her arms around you and she kisses you and she says, dance with me, Robert. Dance with me before the baby comes. Certainly. May I have a dance check from you, Robert? Now, can I pass a dance check? That is the question. Not with that roll. What went wrong? I'm, I'm not used to her being this swollen. I'm not used to having to reach so far forward. And so none of the moves, uh, my footwork is probably terribly wrong at this point um, because I'm not used to having a partner that is that that large. Okay. You stumble a bit. It's hard to get your arms around her waist, but she's so patient. She was always so patient with you. And the, the dance isn't great, but you're with her again and your eyes float down to the ground and you can see those creatures still darting and running and toppling around in the mist and you look into your wife's eyes and she looks to you and you can feel something shift from her hips and when you look down her water has broken again but instead of water running down from the inside of her thighs it's just billows of that red mist and she looks up to you and she smiles and she says I think it's going to be a boy and when you open your eyes, you're back on the veranda and there's blood and chaos and shouting and screaming and crying everywhere. It appears every single individual here is having a similar or a different episode of sorts. And, you know, you, you're, you're trying to figure out uh, what to experience, what to do. It looks like the troll is having an episode. It looks like Miss Throckmorton is currently in the middle of an episode and in two hands, slam into the glass on the other side and it's grace and she has blood running down her nose and she looks to you and she calls from the other side of the glass i love you robert i'm so sorry and something snatches her into the mist it's impossible that a human body can fall through just three feet of mist and disappears but she does wow uh okay i guess if, if narrative is left to me then i i'm gonna begin well I want to stabilize Miss Thrackmore first, then. I want to get a hold of her, like physically, like I would sort of any shell-shocked uh, person who's who's been at war, right? If she's thrashing and she's screaming, I'm trying to bring her out of... I am trying to reassure Miss Thrackmore that things are going to be okay. Oh, I love it. Can you go ahead and roll me that beautiful bean footage? Um, do I still get my advantage die from... You damn sure do. All of them. All right, so I will. I have over. I ha, I'm not. That that's the that's not a fumble. What I'm going to do is I'm going to spend the luck necessary to make that a success. Oh, I love it! I love it! 
Uh, she's murmuring and um, she's been tearing at the inside of her lip that is causing blood to kind of pool underneath her cheeks. And you're able to pull her back and she's she's saying um, a name again and again. And it's Miranda's Miranda's Miranda. And you're able to kind of pull her out. And when she looks to you, she's got tears running down her face. And she says, even though she wasn't here the night that this happened, all hell the unheard howler. I think back to that that episode in the house where I had to say things that I didn't want to, but it was the only way to get back together. And so I, I, in the chaos, no one will notice, but I will, I will pull her closer and just say, I will repeat the the sentence back to her and say, it's all right. We all had to go through it. God, Jesus, that was haunting Mike. Uh, Miss Vidya Ambani, uh, you are standing there talking with Sir Henry White and in an instant, you're no longer standing, but you are seated at this long, formal dining table. And the spread is rich and it's beautiful and it's just all fresh, amazing vegetarian cuisine. And you feel a gentle hand on your stomach and you look down and you look up and your sister is sitting next to you. And she says, how far along do you think you are, Vidya? And she looks beautiful. And you know that she has traveled so many miles, so many miles to assist you with the baby when it comes. You asked your husband to send for her, and he did. I mean, he'd do anything for you, Vidya. You know that. And you look up across the table, and he's smiling at you. And he always gazes upon you as if you're the only thing in this world that brings him joy. And that's because you are. Your sister clears her throat and whispers, my apologies. English manners. It must not be appropriate to touch you in public. Okay. Very well, sister. Which spoon do I use for the broth? I have two questions for you, Vidya. Uh, One, I need you to roll me an etiquette to see if you can guide your sister correctly. And two, whose face is across the table at you? Who is your husband looking back at you? Oh, boy. I think it's Henry. Okay. And... With the spoon, I guess I'll roll the etiquette roll. I wonder if I remember Grace's advice. Oh, I fail that. <gasps> okay. Where is Grace? She should be at this table. Maybe she's running late, but, you know, she wouldn't miss a chance to miss your sister, and this is her first dinner. You direct your sister to pick up the wrong spoon, which she uses, and uh, um, she smiles at you. You smile at her, and you look over to your husband, and he's just giving you this patient head shake like nope that was the wrong spoon but no one is ever going to correct you for it uh, as long as I'm here and he smiles and you smile back and Vidya your eyes blink open and there's a large shadowed creature that feels quadruped that's been hiked up onto its its, its hind legs and it sniffs at you and it steps back from you as if it's repulsed by you for some reason as if you are unworthy as if you are being rejected as if you are uninvited and it drops into the shadows and it it drops back into the mist and it takes off full speed in an opposite direction what do you do in this moment i think i'm so confused as i'm coming out of my little vision i thought i was next to sir henry beforehand or I thought I thought I was just right next to him so kind of seeing him in that vision felt supernatural but if no one is next to me I I wouldn't be surprised if just by seeing this quadruped I I let out a shout because it's where where did these even come from um 
I think I'm going to try to beeline it for my my little baby boy, my panther baby, because he's probably not loving this. Okay. And you're going to beeline towards the panther. Um, as you're running by, um, you can hear uh, and seeing that Henry is laying on his back uh, in the mist. Uh, his knees uh, are above it and his back is arching almost like he's getting ready to vomit, but he shouldn't be trying to vomit from his back. But he's going through a similar episode uh, of itself and he's he's crying something again and again. Uh, I'm sorry, mother. I'm sorry, mother. I'm sorry, mother. And then he just begins to word vomit. All hell, the silent shouter. Hugo, you are working your way across the room when you stop and you look around and the mist is gone. Everyone here is gone. And you are in a muddy, slumpy street with the smell of overcooked meat and sex that hangs in the air. And you are outside of the whorehouse. And there is a gentleman who has just shoved you in your shoulders. And he's marching up. He says, you, sir, defiled my sister. You fornicated. You have ruined any prospects she's had of ever having a successful marriage. You have destroyed her. And now for her honor, I challenge you to a duel. And he whips out a large caliber single shot flint. Red mist is pooling from the barrel. Hugo is kind of sick of this. He's just like, you know what? No, fuck you. I fucked your sister. But I wasn't the one that initiated it. And two, fuck you. Fuck your honor system. I'm out of here. I'm leaving. I'm not coming back. I need an etiquette check, please. You are turning down a rightful duel. And that was real sloppy. It was great role-playing, though. Oh, hell yeah. Um, let's spend nine points of luck to make it, but I won't. Hugo passing an etiquette roll for once in this campaign would be wrong. So Hugo fails the etiquette roll. You turn and march away from this gentleman who you already killed once. Uh, he's calling you a coward and a slur of other names. He's... He's saying that he'll go to the papers and and that he'll tell them what you have done and he'll ruin your family and 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 you're walking away from it because you are done. You are finished. You are exhausted. And you can feel something pounding on your chest from the outside at least. Uh, and when you look down, you're back in that goddamn ballroom and there's blood and there's crying and there's shrieking and there are heralds that are heralding the arrival of whatever this thing is and pounding on your chest um, is little uh, Fanny. And she's saying, please wake up, please wake up, please wake up, please wake up, please wake up. Hugo is unfortunately bouting. I assume that's separate from my... <laughs> yep, we're bouting. We're back in real time right now. You are bouting. Yeah. Hugo's got a monomania and that is to protect the young women he swore to protect. So step one, pick Fanny up. Step two, find Deanna. I might have given her some really bad advice about staying under tables. So now he's going to run around calling Deanna and he's going to... Anytime he bumps into somebody, it's just... He forces them out of the way, knocks them to the ground. He's big enough to just barrel into them. And he's knocking over tables. He is doing anything he can to find his sister. And do you see her? As the table goes crashing at the ground, you see her and she is running, running, running at breakneck speeds. And there's some quadruped creature of shadow that is just leaping out and over the mist, running and chasing her down. And she's a quick one. She is. 
and she's clever and she listens to the advice of her big brother. If anything happens and you're in danger, hide beneath the table and don't come out until I come for you. And she baseball slides underneath this table and you can hear the thunk from the glass on the other side of the table. And it's the absolute worst possible place that she can be because by the time she locks eyes with you and she's trying to make a decision about whether to break out from underneath the table or stay where she is, she just bloop. She is dragged screaming into the ground beneath the mist. And that is where we are going to end for today. Oh, what a rousing game of Regency Cthulhu, right? There's so many fun things happening. And we get one more. <gasps> and so join us next time for the conclusion of Echoes in the Mist, written by Bruce Jeffries, performed by members of the Old Ways podcast for your listening ears. Thank you and sleep tight.